Welcome to the Sub Club Podcast, a show dedicated to the best practices for building and growing app businesses. We sit down with the entrepreneurs, investors, and builders behind the most successful apps in the world to learn from their successes and failures. Subclub is brought to you by RevenueCat. Thousands of the world's best apps trust RevenueCat to power in-app purchases, manage customers, and grow revenue across iOS, Android, and the web. You can learn more at RevenueCat.com. Let's get into the show. Hello, I'm your host, David Bernard, and with me today, RevenueCat CEO, Jacob Biding. Our guest today is Andrew McGuire, Chief Operating Officer at Elevate Labs. Andrew is also Managing Partner at Volo Ventures, where he invests in various startups, including Icon, Carta, Zipline, and RevenueCat. On the podcast, we talk with Andrew about Elevate's journey to cash flow positive, the importance of creative, and why spending less money is sometimes the key to figuring out growth. Hey, Andrew, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's awesome to be here. It's nice to see you, Andrew. I wanted to kick things off with a a bit of a a disclaimer, but also a really fun topic. Uh, Not only are you working in the subscription app space, but you are excited enough about it to have invested in RevenueCat. So um, yeah, thanks for uh, your investment. (laughs) And what what kind of... uh, what about Revenue Cat kind of inspired the investment? Yeah, so um, I, I think we invested in Revenue Cat. I mean, it must have been what five five years ago, twenty eighteen, something yeah. like that. Yeah, four years ago. Yeah. So, so at the time, uh, I was a partner at a venture capital firm called Oakhouse Partners, and you know, Jacob and I had known each other for a long time, and the company was very very early. And I think when a company is that early, you're really betting on, on the founder, right? So in, in my case, you know, Jacob and I, uh, had known each other, we'd been friends. Um, and I felt like he had the juice to build a big company <laughs> and, 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 you know, and, and you think about like, okay, if this is a 10 year journey, who do you want to, who do you want to hang out with on a 10 year journey trying to build something? And so that was the first thing, but then, you know, additionally, uh, at the time, our our mutual friend Jesse Picard, the CEO of Elevate Labs, uh, shared with me that he he also felt like the problem that Jacob was solving was a very real problem. You know, he'd been experienced at at Elevate trying to figure out uh, how to manage customer information and revenue data and and subscriptions. It was just all a mess, right? And so uh, Jacob had spent all this time you know, hacking together solutions when he was at Elevate Labs. And so I felt, con- you know, conviction that the the problem was real. I was convinced by that. And uh, and then otherwise really making a, a, a founder bet. There's so many layers of context to this story and it goes back <laughs> so much further and I uh, had to figure out where to draw the line. But um, yeah, it, it, I was, I was, it's investor update day at Revenue Cat where I write my monthly investor update and I was, kind of telling somebody about the the story of those. And it, it reminded that in 2017, actually, before we had any revenue, before we had anything, I reached out to a handful of friends who I thought could be helpful. And then I, some who also I knew wrote checks professionally. <laughs> uh, and I said, like, hey, do you mind if I start sending you updates about this thing I'm working on? 
and I did this uh, almost a year before we ended up raising. And Andrew was one of the people on that list that I just started sending these updates to. Um, and so that was maybe the beginning. It wasn't really, it was really intended just because I knew you had been a founder before and like, and, and, and we're now an investor. But then, uh, even prior to that, I give you some credit. I remember at some, at some point, like late in my tenure at, at Elevate, when I knew I was getting ready to, to think about my next thing, uh, you're one of the people I credit for, uh, kind of kicking me in the ass to be like, just do it already. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I believe I believe the words exactly uh, were stop being so cynical and build something or something like this to that effect. And it oh, was wow. pretty life changing. Yeah. So anyway, I don't think I've ever shared that with you, but now it's on the podcast and I'm going to turn it into a, uh, something for commercial benefit. But, uh, awesome. <laughs> but yeah, so it, it, it goes way back. And then I think what's really interesting is saying about this podcast, that's not what this podcast is really about. Like, yes, you've been on the journey. Yes, you, we've been friends for a long time. Yes, we meet monthly and you've you've pretty much seen every up and down and kind of know our business inside and out. But I think with the interesting turns was that after you invested in Elevate, a couple of years after I had left, uh, you told me one day, it's like, I'm actually going to help lead Elevate, <laughs> which was like, I was like, oh, interesting. Like, I didn't even think about that. And so there's this really interesting timeline that you and I share where I worked on Elevate when it was very much we were just launching the first product we were just getting it out we were as you mentioned like tripping through a lot of these in-app subscription problems um, and just starting to get like the very beginnings of a flywheel but we didn't have like a ton of stuff figured out right like it wasn't operationalized we had like a maybe like a zero to one um, and then uh, I really think like when you came in and that story is fascinating because you can see how that you transform that company along with Jesse and everybody on the team into what it is now. And so I'm really excited. I talk about Elevate a lot still because it was my last real job. Uh, <laughs> I say revenue it's not a real job, but it's different. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. It's, it's fair to see it's not a real job. And it was, you know, it's still a lot of my subject matter for when I talk, but it's really interesting now that we get to talk about like the second chapter of that story and like to see where the company went from there. So anyway, I'm over the moon to have you on the podcast. And uh, uh, yeah. I'm excited to just like talk. So after investing in Revenue Academy, clearly you had had conviction in the subscription app space and you knew Jesse and you knew Jacob from way back. What did that look like joining Elevate? Kind of what what took you out of the the VC partner role and into operator mode? Um, and what was that kind of early uh, uh, story there at, at Elevate for you? Yeah, so... Probably the first thing to say is that I, d- I didn't really leave the the VC partner world. Um, my partner at Oak House Partners, Jason, retired from venture capital, and I started a, a firm called Volo Ventures. Um, and we kind of it kind of evolved out of Oak House. So a lot of the LPs and the network of founders, you know, sort of have migrated over over to Volo to some extent. And I've and I've always enjoyed the the dual nature of doing both things, and I think they really reinforce each other very very powerfully. But the you know the motivation to join Elevate I think came uh, to a, a great degree from my relationship with Jesse. So you know Jesse Picard, the CEO, he and I started companies around the same time. So before I was investing, I was an entrepreneur. We shared office space, had some of the same uh, some of the same investors, and you know, I felt like he, you know, one was a high, high integrity leader, which was important to me, but two, just a world-class product designer. And I think, you know, in my role as the chief operating officer, if the products aren't amazing, 
it's really hard to do your job well. Yeah. Like it's really hard. It's really hard to have successful recruiting or marketing or anything else if the product isn't good. Right. Your margins. (laughs) Yeah. You're just, you're just kind of like propping something up, uh, that, that, that eventually will not work out. And actually the better you are at your job, probably the more dangerous it is because you can like mask this underlying problem of a product that isn't, that doesn't have product market fit. And so I was really, I was really compelled by, you know, Jesse's ability to create amazing products. And then also the, just this, this mission of, you know, creating products that help people in different aspects of their, of their mental lives was appealing to me. Um, and, you know, today there's two products, Elevate and Balance. Elevate uh, teaches cognitive skills through beautifully designed games, and then balances a much more personalized take on meditation and mindfulness. And so I think, you know, taking, taking those kinds of products and, and teaching people through, you know, like beautifully designed apps, um, teaching them important things and making that affordable around the world, I thought was noble work that I was interested in being a part of. And, uh, and then I think Jesse and my skill sets were very complimentary. So, you know, he, he truly is like a great product person. And, you know, I love, I love building teams and focusing on growth and, you know, kind of the other side of the business. So Jacob mentioned an interesting thing that I, I didn't even realize coming into this is is that whole kind of two phases uh, of you joining, you know, not too long after he left and the product being in, in a fairly good place, but the kind of business growth, monetization, everything else, not having that uh, that flywheel going. So I'd love to hear one, actually, I, I, I should I should know this. I should have looked in your LinkedIn or whatever. But what year did you actually start Elevate? So first question, easy one. But then um, what were some of those early motions that, that you uh, put into place to get the growth going and to start improving the monetization? Yeah, so I joined in early 2019. Part of what happened was I also joined after the company raised some money at the end of 2018. And so I think there were some additional resources for the first time in a while, which allowed us yeah. to, to power up some <laughs> which, stuff. Which was kind of like the the twilight years of my time at Elevate was trying to raise. And it was a very different environment, too, for apps at the time. It was we spent a lot of effort yeah. there. So, yeah, yeah. This whole category was not yet considered uh, totally viable, I think, by the yeah. investment community. Right. So when you join a company, I think uh, in in the role that I had, the COO role, the first thing that I thought about was, you know, just the foundational elements of the company. And that's like mission, vision, values. So, you know, we we really started there and went back to that. And Jesse and I uh, put a ton of work into revisiting all of that uh, and and also working with a team. It can't just be like a, a, a top-down thing. Um, so we, you know, we really focused on that and tried to like create this high integrity foundation to what we were trying to build um, and establish the culture. And, you know, how do you have values that, I mean, you guys have gone through this exercise too, right? But like, mm-hmm. how do you have values that are not just the poster on the wall that no one cares about, but are actually lived in the organization? Which we had done, Jesse and I and others had tried uh, in our era <laughs> and it's made hard. those yeah. mistakes. Yeah, we didn't take it as seriously as we should have. I didn't take it as seriously as we should have. I, I think it's it's hard because it's a really, um, it's an ongoing commitment to incorporating it into your work, right? And you have to be deliberate about where, you know, how is this going to factor into the hiring process? How is this going to factor into uh, recognition and and performance and what we talk about? It has to be hands. true, right? Like if if it's not real, yeah, it has to be true. Nobody's going to pay attention. They just know people know That's when right. things aren't real, right? And they, they then you can't get the 
culture flywheel if it you know if you yeah, will yeah going yeah yeah that's right so i th- I think that was the that was kind of like the first big picture thing um and then there's you know there's lots of operational work to do but the other thing that seemed to be the case was that there was an opportunity to be more aggressive on the growth side you have to develop a strategy for how you're going to grow revenue grow customers and you know we felt we we had the benefit of at the time uh, you know, an Apple's app of the year award winning app. And there's a lot you can do with that. I mean, I was gonna say by 2019, I had been five years on, but it had a lot of legs. (laughs) Yeah, it had a lot of legs. And I think one, you know, and, and this is, this is an interesting lesson, I think for people who are developing apps, it's like, if you develop a product that's evergreen in terms of the value that it generates for users, right? It's not just, I mean, a lot of games are, subject to like sort of like fad dynamics, right? Like they come in and out of style, people lose interest. But when there's an educational component to what you do, um, I think the longevity of the product is, is much, much better. And so we, that's, that's a big advantage for us. And, and so, you know, we were able to sort of, uh, step on the gas and, and ramp up in our case, paid advertising, you know, kind of the, the typical engine of advertising on, on Facebook and Google platforms to just get, just get a lot more customers and, you know, start to build a renewal base. That was something we never fully got to. I mean, I think we had started to play with it, but we were, I mean, I remember being, and this was a bit of my naivete as a, as a growth person and more of an engineer, but I never felt we had enough of a handle on the long-term LTV, never really felt like the numbers were quite there and didn't have that kind of, and I think it was like, also my lack of like entrepreneurial risk-taking appetite to push that and say like, yeah, like let's spend I remember, I remember giving Jesse a hard time for uh, that. You remember the ad? It's still. I think you guys are still using it. You see it, and you guys are still chopping it up for um, for social ads. I see sometimes. But we we shot this ad in 2014 for the original Elevate product, and I remember it costing some tens of thousands of dollars, which at the time was like yeah. insane to me. I was like, "How are we going to know this thing ever back?" And now looking back, I'm like, that thing lasted 10 years and used it for so much growth stuff, and it was like obviously payback positive. And I'll take a lot of blame for, I think that we got the product, we had the product really dialed, we shipped it and it worked, but I think there was a lot of hesitation on our part to like lean into like, how can we accelerate growth, right? Like I didn't really understand flywheels. Like I didn't really understand that, like you have to pay for users, like you have to pay for growth in a lot of ways. Right. Um, and so, um, I mean, we had done things that worked, like we had done a lot of organic, like we were doing sales and promotions like that worked really well, mm-hmm. but it required having this like constant stream of organic users coming in because we were still in Apple's eye, like we were still getting featured and stuff like that. Um, but that does have a half life. So, um, yeah, no, it's 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 really interesting. Like what what was there anything like data wise like you felt you needed to see before you you guys felt comfortable like putting down real dollars into that engine? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we we started looking at ROAS and payback period and LTV CAC and and all that sort of stuff, right? And and it was and it was pretty clear that, you know, we could spend money to acquire customers and that it was profitable on a time horizon that we could see. So um in that sense it's it's kind of like a no-brainer. But I also think the product had to go through additional maturity as well not the core user experience, but the, the funnel. Right. And, Mm. and so it's not, it's not just put money in the machine. It's also how is your monetization working? 
Like, do you, you know, oh yeah, what what is your what is your business model, right? And I and I think um, the this is another area where the industry has sort of matured and coalesced around, you know, subscriptions in a lot of cases and you know trials into those subscriptions. And so we, um, you know, we needed we needed to do quite a bit there to get to get the uh, like the underlying conversion process to a point where the advertising was going to work. I think if we had just plowed money into advertising, I don't think it would have been uh, effective right away. We had to do those things in, in tandem. Yeah, I, I think it's just the organization as a whole saying like, this is also a priority in addition to the core yeah. product experience. Yeah. Are there any key things you remember from that time that did move the needle? Um, you know, Did you switch from, from some single in-app purchases to a free trial and subscription or no free trial and then now free trial or onboarding. I'm foggy. I, I didn't, didn't we there? You, we, I say we, cause I think this was like something I kind of had worked on or I knew about it when I was leaving, but it was like moving the trial up much further in the funnel and kind of push, like kind of really pushing a free trial start and dropping some of the other plans. I remember at some point really, and this has kind of become standard industry knowledge at this point, but at the time we had offered monthly lifetime and, it was there were a lot of choices for packaging and stuff like this and i remember uh either it was a test i was working on or maybe it was after i left just watching you guys work on it um but there was a push towards just a trial that went right into an annual is that was that part of the like roas con- like puzzle yeah yeah absolutely i mean so i think if if you have and we do have a free version of your app but if that's going to be the central flow for users that you push the most aggressively then you need to you need to nail that model right and like you need to either have advertising figured out or you need to have some sort of freemium model where you have so many people coming in that you can later convert enough of them to build a rapidly growing business i you know or you need to or you need to go the subscription route and i think um you know i like the idea of people paying for apps that they use i think that's that's you like me, very that's why we're on this compelling. journey together yeah so uh <laughs> For all sorts of that's a whole another that's a whole another podcast. But you know, I, I but yes, you know, we did become increasingly aggressive with the subscription model and the trial and um, buttoning that up. And there are all sorts of little things like you know, fourteen day trial versus seven day trial versus three day trial. You know, we ended up with a seven day trial. And then you're right about you know the annual piece. It's because it's not just LTV CAC. It's also it's also cash flow. Right. So if you're paid up front for an annual subscription and your product is good enough that you can get people to pay an annual subscription without resorting to like shady stuff, um, which never works long term. Right. But people do it anyway. Uh, If you know, if you can if you can do that, then, you know, you can turn that cash background and put it into the advertising machine. If you're getting paid monthly, you know, it's. Um, just from a purely from a cash flow and like paying your ad bills every month perspective, it gets much more challenging unless you're extremely well capitalized. Yeah. Um, one of the stories I think is going to continue for years to be an interesting part of any app story is I imagine you got some things kind of dialed in, in the, in the pre app tracking transparency era where, you know, there was a lot more uh, tracking from the Facebook and Google ads that you you mentioned you had. Um, did anything break with ATT or, or no? I mean, what I've been hearing more and more is that it, it's been a slow degradation, not that it was like a f- switch flipped overnight. Um, so has that been a challenge for Elevate? 
Yeah, I think for us it was a it was a switch flipped. I mean, we oh. you know it it really hammered us, um, and maybe it's just a result of our scale. Uh, I, right. I I don't know, but we um, you know I think it, and you guys have talked about this before. You know, we were pretty reliant on the quality of Facebook's algorithm, um, right. and, and and you know when you when and in fairness when teams tried to uh, take like a manual approach you know, they, the, those algorithms have so much data, they just out, outperformed. Right. And so right. we were doing things to try to kind of like improve our creative or try to improve, you know, our analytics. Um, but at, at the end of the day, you know, we were pretty reliant on the ad networks and what they were doing. And so, you know, our, our efficiency, uh, dropped by, you know, 50%, wow. like basic, basically overnight. So, so we got, we got hammered. This was been like last summer, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we really had to kind of like circle the wagons and say, this is something that we need to resolve as a company and we will figure out how to emerge stronger. And ultimately we did, but it's not the sort of problem that you want to underestimate. Yeah. So then what's, what is working now when you circle the wagons, what questions did you ask? And then what experiments did you run? And then what failed miserably and what actually brought you around the other end? Yeah. Oh man, there's so much to talk about here. So <laughs> I, I think the the first thing is probably cultural, right? So, so, you know, we needed to, uh, make it clear to the team that, uh, you know, growth and monetization was the company's number one priority, right? We spend a lot of time building, uh, amazing products and focusing on, on, on those aspects of the business and always have and always will. But we said, look, we're going to take the next however many months and, th- and we're, and we are going to do everything that we can to improve these, these economics. And so that was the first thing, orienting the team around what, like, what are we focused on? We're focused on really one thing, uh, as a, as a business. Did, did you have any formal like OKR systems and stuff like that to like run that top to bottom? Like, um, yeah, we did. did. We've since, we've since, continue to customize OKRs to the extent that it's not even, they're not even OKRs Yeah, which everybody should do, right? Like, don't just take John Doerr's book and copy it because you're not Google. But like... uh, Google's uh, a big company. Yeah. (laughs) So, so, but, but yes, we did. I mean, we were, we were enormously focused. I mean, that was the most important thing. Yeah. How how big was the team around this time? Uh, probably like low to mid forties. Okay. So it's big, it's gaggly, gangly at that point, right? Like there's, (laughs) there's enough people that like, you can't just have one meeting to like tell everybody Gangly enough. And and then also I think it was just another example of this is not a growth team problem, right? This is a whole company problem. What can your team do to contribute to getting us to the other side of this? Because our business depends on it, right? So, so that was the first thing was just cultural alignment. And then I think I think from there, you know, we needed to first we needed to sort of like stop the bleeding. So that meant pulling back our ad spend um, significantly. So we pulled back our ad spend significantly. Which is tough because, you know, that impacts your renewal base for next year. But, you know, we became very cash flow focused. It was like we, you know, if we don't pull it back, we're, uh, we're just going to, we're going to burn millions of dollars. So it's just not going to, it's not going to work. So pull back the ad spend, you know, we have enough organic that we're able to sort of like force our, our ROAS back into a, a positive place. But, you know, our renewal base would have, uh, eventually evaporated if we couldn't if we couldn't get the economics work to to drive more scale. So you're saying pulling back on just your spend like pulled you guys more into probably like 
less marginally bad. You know what I mean? Like yes. you, you, you yeah. buy the cheapest, most easy to get users first. So pulling back your ad spend meant you meant your ROAS went up just because you were getting like the most aligned, like best users and not spending on the marginal ones. That's true. Um, but also even if your ROAS, e- even if, even if the ROAS is the same, if it's negative, you're losing less money. So, <laughs> right. Right. So, so, it, <laughs> right. It, it, so both things were true and both, both things, uh, helped us and it just gave us a little bit of breathing room. Yeah. So you didn't, you didn't turn it completely off, but you pulled it back uh, quite a bit. That's right. We, yeah, we pulled it back. We pulled it, we pulled it way back. So, you know, then, then we got to work on some of the really hard problems. So, so it's like, what, what are our, what are our levers? Uh, right. And so, you know, classically in growth, you, you know, uh, for our type of business, you have, um, you have campaign management, not a huge amount of, opportunity for differentiation there. Like that's really more of an, I think it's really more of an optimization game. Then you have data and then you have uh, creative. And we had, I would say we had the most success on the creative side in the sense that, um, you know, data, the whole data landscape is taking a while to sort itself out. Right. And like you have major aspects of the ecosystem um, like the MMPs and the ad networks themselves and, and everyone's sort of trying to figure this stuff out and it takes a while, but creative is very much in your control. And, you know, we had, you, you know, relied a lot on agencies in the past and we still work with agencies, but what we had to do was we basically had to say, you know, look, we, we need to radically improve our sophistication in this area. It is something we can control. And so we started to, you know, we have an amazing, amazing content team at Elevate Labs because our products are ultimately, you know, educational products and they teach people content. And so we started to educate the content team on the growth side of the business mm. and really, and we really started to, started to partner content with design, with product design, where we're also extremely strong with growth and, um, and try to come up with like new concepts and new ways of connecting with our customers that were authentic, that were unique, that were platform specific. Outside of the app, you mean? Outside outside of the app, yeah. 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 Right, which in, in advertising. At least in my period, like content team focused on content inside the app, right? I think we had tried that's a right. little bit of stuff, but it makes sense because yeah. like that's a team at, at even in my era and, and, and now like it's just, it's not a designer. It's not a product manager. It's not an engineer. Like most, a lot of companies don't have that same function, but it's such a critical piece of the, the elevate labs, like formula. Right. That's right. And so, so it was differentiating for us, right? It was an advantage that we have where we said, Hey, we might be able to outperform everybody on creative. If we, if we focus all of the talent across the organization on, on doing this. And so, and it started to work and it started to work really, really well. And basically you know, we were able to push our scale back up. Our, you know, return on ad spends on a three-week basis is now well over a hundred percent for Elevate, um, wow. and w- which is which is quite unusual. And so th- mm-hmm. this is this has just worked very well for us. And sort of in in a similar way, you know, the um, the organization had some muscle memory around uh, everyone at the company taking responsibility for the quality of the product. You know, we do mm-hmm. a lot of dog fooding. There's a lot of feedback. You know, I think Jesse has done 
an amazing job of uh, building a culture where a, a great product idea can come from anywhere and it will be implemented and used. And so everyone feels responsible for the quality of the products. And we basically went through the exercise of recreating that for growth, right? So it's not just this siloed thing. It's something that everyone, you know, you see an ad that you think is compelling while you're like on TikTok, share, you know, share it with the team. From another, from another company or something. From another company yeah. or, you know, it's just source ideas from everywhere, develop really tight cross-functional collaboration, get really, really good at this. Not to mention, think about what your input on the product, how that's affecting growth, right? Like no matter where you are in the funnel, you know, if you're in the, in the, what we call them games, but they'll like experience this like inside of Elevate, whether you're yeah. in the, on those or like all the way to the, the onboarding, like there's still all of those have a part to play in growth, right? Um, and so I think we've been kind of here, I think going through a similar thing like this summer with the kind of like mini recession and all this stuff, like our growth has seen some like hiccups for the first time. And a lot of companies are going through this right now, but uh, we've, it's been a similar exercise in making sure that like growth is remembered, you know, across yeah. the org and i think we're actually going to get it's going to be a good f- similar it sounds like hopefully similar to your story like a good forcing function like when you have an exogenous event like this it's a good forcing function to remember like you know you had outsourced efficiency to facebook right <laughs> mm-hmm. um and so uh that's great so you you said that content team getting involved like what was the deliverable there they were actually writing ad copy and like that would actually go into or copy and visual and stuff that would go into facebook ads or like uh was it more than that copy and concepts and so concepts are you know that's really it's really interesting work because you have to first of all you have to look at the platform right so you know we had to we had to actually get comfortable doing things that were you know still on brand but different stylistically than the sort of content or way that we would communicate with users typically right so you can't you can't go to and this this is this is one of the challenges like if you take all this stuff that worked on Facebook for a long time and you put it on TikTok, it, you know, it might, it might not work, right? You have different audiences. They're there for different reasons. They're engaging in different ways. So, so yeah, like concepting copy. And then, you know, we have amazing designers and so they're working on the design side and, and, and it's all of that together. And then of course we're working on all of the rest of it too. I mean, we have an incredible, uh, little growth team, um, that's on, on top of everything in, in the industry. And so, you know, it's also thinking about the analytical side of things and trying to find, uh, you know, like continuing to optimize the funnel continuing to figure out what data to feed back to the networks. And, um, and then there's the, you know, there's the whole diversification side, side of the conversation, which you guys have had before. And we can talk about that too. Other non, non, um, performance-based channels, you mean? Non-performance-based channels or other, like more performance-based channels, right? Mm -hmm. So, so the, the nightmare would be, you only have one channel and it's Facebook. Mm -hmm. Um, but even, even expanding, uh, to other performance-based ad networks, I think is, is worthwhile and it's hard to do, but it's worthwhile. The, the, non-ad networks, the, the challenge is, um, that's very valuable, but it takes a long time. So if you're just starting to build an app, you should start that stuff very early, right? Like building the organic stuff. Mm-hmm. But if you're facing like an existential crisis and it's going to take two years for those things to start bearing fruit, you know, it's, it's not a solution actually. Like it's a good way to fortify your business for the long term, yeah. but it's not going to get you, it's not going to get you out of the hole. Of this, um, speaking of the cha- I mean, the long time in those channels, like we didn't talk about this, but L, there, there's 
I three. I mean, I'm, if you talk to Jesse, there's probably ten distinct chapters. But if you think about the life, the lifetime of Elevate Labs before it was Elevate, there was this company called Mind Snacks that was um, not subscription based. It was still education. It was the a lot of the like very early things that became Elevate were in those. And I kind of came in at that transition when Mind Snacks was winding down, and we turned we pivoted into Elevate. Um, but we had. In terms of other channels, we had built a subscriber, uh, a user list during the MindSnacks era that was many, many thousands. And when we launched Elevate, that was a big marketing channel for us was to like, we didn't go overdo it, but we were emailing those customers. Eventually, we were getting still getting a ton of downloads on the apps. They weren't really like, and they weren't a focus of the business, but they were still alive. And so we were putting, we put a pop up in there just to be like, hey, we're working on this new app, come here. So we like bootstrapped that into Elevate. And of course, there was the the Apple love the app of the year thing and all that. Uh, but then when, you know, it comes to balance, we haven't talked about much, which was your, the, the, I was the third app or whatever. Um, uh, really like there were 70,000 mind snacks apps, but we'll call them one app for, for these purposes. Uh, 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 there was, I'm, I don't know what was done, but I'm sure there were ways to like take the elevate back, uh, the elevate, um, and this is, yeah, the cross promotion from the elevate audience into the balance audience. Right. But that took a decade to build up that list. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think there's there's one sort of like obvious benefit, which is that you can get a bunch of customers. Right. If if there's if there's good overlap in terms of your audience and, you know, in our case, we have this mental fitness focus and and people who are trying to improve themselves through these products. And so, you know, I think there is a good amount of potential overlap and you can get lots of customers that way. But I also think it helps you build a better product. Right. Because when you're in the product development process, you have infinite beta customers like at your fingertips out the gate mm-hmm. and people who, you know, are kind of invested in your brand and want to be a part of the process of building a great product. And so it was extremely helpful to us in that respect as well. And then, you know, balance obviously de-risks the business a ton. It's growing very fast. And uh, one Apple's, or sorry, one Google's uh, Play, Play Store app of the year. So, you know, the, that that obviously helps, but with balance, we actually had to think about you know we're, elevate is the leader in in the kind of like brain training space without without a question. With balance, we had to think about like okay, there are a couple of really big players in the space. How are we going to differentiate? Is it enough to differentiate on the product and have a better product? And in our case, you know, we said, well, we do think we have a better product, um, and we do think it's differentiated. But what we don't have is $300 million in the bank and enormous amounts and of brand James. recognition, right? And so so th- this ties back to advertising because when we looked at the advertising landscape, it's like, look, we, we're not comfortable waiting three years for uh, a payback period for a consumer product. And, and so when we start spending, it's like, man, it's really expensive to acquire these customers. And around the same time, the, you know, COVID was also uh, it, it sort of like peak nightmare, and we gave balance away for free for a year just to help folks out during what was a very difficult time. And, you know, we, we eventually turned that into our business model. And we said, and, and our belief was, you know, yes, we can get lots of people to try this. They will like it better. And if enough of them convert a year down the road, then we have a, we have a business and, and we can scale this way. So we sort of got asymmetric on the business model which also allowed us to um, successfully scale ad spend for balance in an environment with much better funded competitors. 
That's just, wait. So I want to ask about that because, like, I, I knew you guys did that, and I I hadn't followed exactly like the mechanics of it. So, are, are you having folks on a in app purchase one year trial, or is it just like the app is open and you don't throw up a paywall for a year? It's a it's a it's a one year trial. Oh, interesting. I think that's just probably the first time I talked to somebody that's run that. But but it's really fascinating because like you guys can do that, right? Because you have this cash machine for or whatever. <laughs> like we have you have elevate this stability and this understanding and like, but somebody coming in, a new entrant to that market can't just can't do that, right? You can't give it the cash flow reasons and whatever. You can't just give away the product for free for a year. But that's a really fascinating synergy between like the two apps. That's true. And that's the benefit of, uh, one of the benefits of a, a portfolio. But we also we also accept donations for balance. And so you'd think like, well, that's oh. totally marginal, right? So, but it turns out it's not marginal. Oh, wait, you, do you accept them as IAP, like in the app? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, wow. and, so, and so you're on a free or trial. Like, yes, you can donate $0, no problem. But, you know, there are people who, who want to mm-hmm. donate. They're getting, they're getting a ton of value from the product. They appreciate the fact that it's free for a year. They want to pay it forward. And that actually allows us to continue offering the free or trial because it turns out that it's meaningful for us. You can only get away with this if the product is exceptionally good and if the if the mission resonates with people. And I think we you know we're in a situation where we have those things and so we actually get meaningful donation dollars that allows us to keep the free or trial business model going. How do you look at um ad efficiency across the two? So like when you're I mean it it does just make a ton of sense from a from a marketing differentiation, from like a channel differentiation is that the apps end up becoming channels for each other, right? So like when you spend, um, you know, $3 to acquire a user and elevate, do you see that as actually spending $3 to acquire one elevate user and 0.1 balance users? Or like, how do you kind of view the, the, the kind of marketing synergy there? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely there. Um, bi-directionally and it's it's fantastic but we we do look at ltv cac for the products individually right so 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 you know that 0.1 or 0.5 or whatever balance users that we get from from acquiring elevate users we um that would just that would just bring down the cost of acquisition blended cost of acquisition on the balance side so we gotcha. that's like the simplest way to do it um yeah otherwise it'd be like attribution is challenging and it's just more, it's yeah. more work. Yeah. Also like um, you don't want to count in too many things that you're not exactly sure how to measure because then uh, that are going to be, make things look better because then you might end right. up over your skis accidentally. Right. You kind of want to be conservative and, and just say like probably helps, but like, let's not get too scientific about yeah, it. Yeah. You right? sure don't want to take credit twice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> on, yeah. on both products <laughs> for that, your yeah. rest of development when the, she takes the banana and then throws the banana away and then takes the dollar from the cash register and you're good. Right. Like, uh, yeah, no, don't do that. Um, I wanted to step back to, to an earlier part of our conversation because, uh, I was 14.5 dropped summer of 2021, um, which is when you had that. So that that's when you had the crunch of like, Oh crap, our ads are not performing like they used to. Our ROAS went to crap. And what you said when talking about that is that y- you pulled back on spending I think a lot of companies in that position at that time just went out and raised more money. Um, so one of the things I wanted to talk about was, um, and you shared this publicly now that uh, Elevate is cash flow positive. 
which is incredible for a company. You know, you raised a seed round in in 2011, uh, a Series A from Sequoia, a Strategic B in 2018. So you've been on this funding path. But in 2021, when money was just raining down from the sky, when people were more bullish on subscription apps, you chose to instead turn to cash flow positive. I'm curious about the the decision around that, and then um, you know how you've kind of stepped down the path to to achieve this goal in 2022. Yeah, so I'd say a couple of things. The first is that being cash flow positive uh, feels really good. So I, I mean, it's, it's just like a delightful place to be as a business um, where you can really you know, call you just, yourself a business really now. Yeah, right? you're a real bit. You make, you make more money than you spend. Um, so it, one, it just feels really good. Uh, but I and and, you know, 2022 will be a record growth year for Elevate as well. So it's not like it's not like we've. Yeah. We cut our expenses way down to force cash flow positive yeah, and we're back in and the ramen like, mode or whatever. Right? Yeah, and demolished our momentum. We're we're gonna have a record year. And so I think what I would say is that you have to solve the problem. You have to solve the fundamental problem. So like if you go raise more capital, yes, that buys you time. But if you're going to use that capital to maintain spend at highly inefficient levels you're actually just exacerbating the problem, right? Yeah, because right. your your valuation is higher, you're buried under a bigger preference stack, you're burning lots of, of cash, the business is not sustainable. You know, fast forward 12 months, there's a macro a macroeconomic correction. And now that huge valuation that you raised at, you're, you're underwater, right? So- Yeah, I mean, you're looking like geniuses for not- Raising yeah. a big round in 2021. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just so few companies had the foresight in 2021 to not just go raise that big round I mean, because cash was so easy to get. It's also, de- I mean, as a guy who did do that, like it also de-risks <laughs> you, right? Like so there's, there's, well, there's right. benefits and downsides, right? But the, you know, the, the play is if you have, if you think that the profitability will come easier with scale, which I don't think is necessarily the case for business like Elevate, like if you're doing things inefficiently and you just do them more bigger, you might actually drive in the opposite direction of efficiency, right? Versus like maybe a SaaS company, you can make this some other companies with ne- with di- different network effects. You could argue that as we get to scale, the profitability switch becomes easier. I don't think that's necessarily the case in most like uh, subscription consumer brands. That's exactly right. I mean, I think my, my opinion on should people raise money, how much money should they raise, how aggressively should they scale it's amazing how often that conversation happens without thinking about like what business you're in, right? I mean, so Re- Revenue Cat is a recurring revenue business with like strong cohorts stacking on top of each other and positive net revenue retention, right? And positive net revenue retention, right? So that that justifies a certain level of of aggressiveness, right? But if you're um, if you're raising the capital to grow um with bad economics and by the way that i think bad roas also usually is accompanied by high churn um right. for whatever reason they they seem to go they seem to go hand in hand you know it's like you're just not acquiring super high quality customers so you're like pumping up your top line with all this venture money and then the only way to sustain that is going to be more venture money but now you can't raise at that valuation. I think that's where you're in trouble, right? So I think I think if a company raises a round and they say, you know, yeah, we're not just going to pour all this money into into 
uh, continuing to scale unhealthy advertising. We're going to focus on solving the fundamental problem. You know, that's much better than, than, uh, than the alternative. But I think it also begs the question, like, then what did you raise the money for? Because what you really need to do is solve the problem. So I think it depends on the business and I think it depends, you know, on the, yeah, just the specific situation. But for us, for us just buckling down, focusing on being like lean and scrappy and solving the problem was, was the right answer. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a big fallacy. Um, and it's, and it's, if you look at the incentives of venture, you can understand kind of where it comes from. Um, because you know, venture, venture, whether they think it consciously or not, like they want you to raise money because it's the product they're selling. Right. Um, (laughs) and, and I say that with all the most love to the venture capitalists in the room and everybody and venture is a great thing. It's a great thing for a world and entrepreneurs that it exists, but like there are incentives there, but like, I, I love that you guys are going to have a great growth here, especially when the the word on the street is that the macro is kind of weak a little bit this year for subscriptions. And so like what I've, I can't remember who told me this, but that the, I've always heard that the like pulling back or like going for profitability be being associated with uh, unaggressiveness or deflated growth is not true. Like you can grow, like look at, look at, there's a ton of public companies growing insanely well that are profitable or very close, right. That are not like burning insane amounts of like capital infusion. Um, and like you can do it and actually like it will make the business better. Right. And I think that's actually one of the, you know, once you start on venture capital, it's very hard to like make that transition because you do have to like make hard, like you just do hard stuff, right. You start to thinking about the middle lines. Right. Um, and we're, we're in that situation now, like we can, keep raising if we want and keep spending but there might be some truth in us thinking about like okay how can we focus a little bit on is there a way for us to like focus a little bit on efficiency and a little bit you know on on making the the fundamentals really strong and then just honestly waiting it out a little bit till our revenue catches up right um but then i think we could do all the same stuff we're doing now with just like a more efficient look and i think you might actually operate a little bit better so it's very interesting to me it's something i would love to consider at some point when the time's right when the time's right <laughs> Well, one thing uh, as we're kind of wrapping up, I, I did want to touch on uh, Volo Venture. So, um, speaking of investors <laughs> and investments in apps, oh, we should also disclose that I'm an LP in Vol. Am I allowed to say that I'm an LP in Volo Venture? So, yeah. like, this yeah, is yeah, just—it's yeah. a lot of just the web, the web, of, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> okay, I didn't even know that. Very, very the world's smallest LP. Like you know those little tiny world's smallest circus things. That's me. I'm the world's smallest LP. Actually, Jacob, you are our smallest LP. Yes. That's that's how you know I bring the most value as an LP because it would let me write a check. (laughs) So anyway, so, so you've, you've already invested in, in one app. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, disclosed publicly which app that is, but are you making additional investments? And I mean, you know, our audience obviously is a bunch of subscription apps and it seems that that's a focus. And then as an investor, you would obviously, as somebody who's who's been there, done that, and taken a subscription app company to profitability, be an incredible uh, advisor to some of these companies. Um, so are you uh, writing checks currently? Uh, and, and what does Velo Ventures look like right now? Yeah, yeah, thanks. So yeah, pre-seed, seed, Series A focus, mostly sector agnostic, um, with a couple of exceptions of things that I just like can't hope to understand like medical devices. Um, but yeah, we, we, we are writing checks. We do invest, you know, we have actually invested in one, uh, pre-seed really like a mobile app developer, 
uh, entrepreneur named Zach who has a, a startup called Fuga. F-O-O-G-A. You guys know him, I'm, I think. Yeah, he's, he's been, been on the podcast. podcast. He's been, yeah. Okay, he's been on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah so, 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 you know, this is like one of these bets where we just re- really think he has great entrepreneurial in- instincts and the idea is very much in flux. Um, but Fuga is in the App Store. You can you can download it. And, um, at re- you know, right now he's, he's focused on, uh, fit, you know, sort of like casual physical health, but exploring lots of ideas. So yeah, we um, we uh, are writing checks, you know, fifty k to a million bucks for folks listening to this podcast. Probably more on the earlier side, you know. Yeah, I guess my email will be in the show notes, so people can people can find me. Is the focus um, with all the experience you've had at L? I mean, because prior to Elevate and you know our relationship and your relationship with Jesse, like you weren't an apps person, right? You hadn't spent a lot of time, but are you? focusing any more of your thesis around apps because of your experience in the past few years working on Elevate? Or is it still very much like good ideas from good entrepreneurs? I'm extremely entrepreneur entrepreneur focused. Yeah. yeah. And like and huge like entrepreneur plus huge problem. Yeah. Um so you know, I mean, our first investment was in a company called Icon, uh that that is a basically a follow-on from the the prior funds that I worked on. And they're 3D printing houses. So, you know, um, it's really all over the map, but very, very happy to, to take a look at consumer subscription as well. Um, I'll, and I'll plug and I'll plug and say, you know, there are three, fa- there are three levels of investors, ones that are problems, ones that, and the, the next best is ones that don't, don't do anything. And that's actually above the bar. And then there are ones that are like an actively positive influence in the company. And I'll, I'll say Andrew's definitely in that category. So if you're thinking about doing any, taking any money from this, this group of, uh, what I used to call them, the jackals uh, that are the VCs. Uh, Andrew's one of the better ones, so <laughs> a thorough endorsement. One of the better jackals. <laughs> I think we've been talking every like about every month or or more often, you know, earlier on for you know f- like four or five years. Now, it's been five years, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's been it's, it's been, been an amazing, super it's been helpful. a huge privilege. I mean, you guys are doing important work. It's been awesome to be on the journey. Yeah. Oh, we're only we're only a, a tenth of the way through it, so buckle up. Uh, right on. <laughs> we got forty five more as years. We, <laughs> as we wrap up, uh, also like to shout out any uh, any jobs uh, from Elevate that that uh, you wanted to to pitch directly, or we are going to include the the careers page from Elevate in the show notes. Oh, excellent! Yeah, um, really appreciate that. So we are hiring senior backend engineer, uh, senior DevOps engineer senior product designer um and uh this i don't think this is posted yet but senior um senior product manager as well which will be a a very big job um yeah so yeah so we are hiring for some stuff and you know if if folks are interested maybe they should just email me directly so we sort of like cut through the ats noise <laughs> um, that's just my, my elevate email address and then all care of sub know, club, I'll, put it in the subject line. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, do it. Do it. I think it's good. I think it's great. Like you guys have such a, um, the brand, like, I think one of our, one of our shortcomings. And I think part of the reason that like, I, you know, I, I loved building elevate and I loved all the work we did and everything, but I never was mission aligned. Like I should have been when I worked there. And I think you can, we'll have Jesse on some time and we can talk about what that leads to. And I'm like, you mentioned culture at the beginning and how that's so important. And now I think it's so great. Like 
you know, in a company that's 11 years in or whatever, like you can still, like it's still an exciting place to join if you're like a person who cares about what Elevate is doing and what you guys are doing is very clear, right? Like you are bringing mental health and 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 personal improvement to people and it's a very real thing. Like, and the thing was, is it, at the time, like I could get excited about it now if I thought about it or whatever. At the time I didn't and that, that, that was like not the place I should be, right? You should go, but if that's the place you should be, like el- there's no better place than, than Elevate working with you guys in my opinion. And so- yeah. That's the beauty of going back to like this mission oriented culture. Like if you guys can align on them, you can align on the mission. Like um, these are jobs like that you should take. So anyway, am I, am I overselling? Am I overselling a little bit? <laughs> no, Maybe no, no. a little I, bit. I, Sorry. I, I don't think not at all. Not at all. <laughs> no, I think it, and you know, it's like, and you guys have experienced this too. It's, it's mission and it's also talent density, right? I mean, we've just been yeah. obsessed with this, with this concept. And I think, you know, when you're going to work every day and you know that your colleagues are best in class, Man, it makes all the difference. Feels great. Right? Uh, yeah, 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 it's huge. yeah. So, and and that involves hard decisions at the leadership level. You know, all the you, time. Like you've been through this, we've been through this. It's it's a constant thing. But the reward, if you if you're really focused on that, is that you just get this amazing team that can be profitable and growing really fast. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, that is a, a great place to wrap up. So, Andrew, thank you so much for for being on the podcast and for for sharing. Uh, this journey you've been on. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This was super fun. I appreciate it. Good to see you guys. Thanks so much for listening. If you have a minute, please leave a review in your favorite podcast player. You can also stop by chat.subclub.com to join our private community. <laughs>